This podcast is made possible by Adam Audio, German-engineered studio monitors for every studio size, shape, and budget. Hear what you've been missing. Learn more at adam-audio.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. Perfume genius, Laura Marling, Alabama Shakes, John Legend, Wolfpack, Randy Newman, Jessica Hoop, Nora Jones, Andrew Bird, Jim James, and a long list of others all have a common thread, Blake Mills. Originally the leader of the band Simon Dawes, Blake caught the studio bug and never looked back. His songwriting, inventive guitar playing, and production skills are all unmistakable. His third solo release, Look, was born out of his exploring of vintage rolling guitar synthesizers. Online publisher Jeff Stanfield caught up with Blake to discuss. Enjoy. So yeah, Blake, thanks for um, taking some time out to talk about uh, talk with Tape Op, and um, you know you got this new record which I've been enjoying, and um, it's sort of different than uh, your past work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very different. Yeah. So this could you know you uh, this new record's called Look, and it's it's kind of based around. Uh, the old rolling guitar synths from the 70s yes yeah that's right are you familiar with those well uh i am familiar with them via like abercrombie and pat metheny but beyond that not much that was sort of um uh uh direct i don't know if you'd say directly or indirectly uh, responsible for my introduction to them indirectly because uh i was hanging out with my good friend james valentine who's a guitar player and he grew up in Nebraska, and he and his guitar teacher in Nebraska were uh, massive Pat Metheny fans growing up. And um, and one day when I was at James's house, he had uh, received this big package, and um, it was the, this guitar synth system that belonged to his guitar teacher in Nebraska. And he kind of gave me the backstory on uh, on its its relevance to their their um their their bond over over being uh Pat Metheny fans and and um so as he's as he's unboxing it and setting it up and telling me about it I, I just sort of assume that that uh the sound of the guitar synth is just sort of synonymous with with um the 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 Pat Metheny records and and as soon as we plugged it in and started playing it, it became apparent that this is actually a, a much broader uh, palette of sounds that are capable of coming out of this synth. And, and it was even passing the guitar back and forth b- between James and I, it would sound completely different without changing any of the, the settings on the synth and, and the guitar. So it was, that was the spark that led me down uh, an obsession with with all the different models of synthesizer guitars they were making, and uh, and I just kind of went on a on a crawl. Um, can you explain um, sort of what what it is? I mean, so you have a you have an actual guitar that you're playing, and then you there's a brain. Can you can you sort of describe for people that don't um, really understand what this is it's not like you're playing a, a real like a synthesizer so to speak no that that's that's right i i uh 
I mean, there's still a lot of it that's mysterious to me, but I'll, I'll do my best at the risk of of actually getting some things wrong. Um, as I understand it, um, it, it is a, a, a fully functional guitar, normal guitar. Uh, it doesn't involve MIDI or anything like that. There's a pickup back by the bridge um, that I believe is called a transducer pickup. And it, it seems like each string has its own proprietary transducer and the transducer converts um you know whatever magnetic energy it it's reading off of the string into some sort of language that the analog synth engine of which there are six one corresponding to each guitar string um the analog synth engine then uh understands and and will generate a uh, you know a, a, a an oscillation or a, a just a, a synthesizer tone. Somebody once told me that the engine is very similar to a, that of a Juno, but I don't exactly know what that means. I do know that the tracking of the guitar synths is much better than anything that I've played with MIDI guitars and and um, and even later models of of the Roland synthesizer stuff. I, I when I was a kid, I, I had a VG8 system. Um, growing up so I could do all that stuff like make your guitar sound like a sitar and and program alternate tunings without actually changing the tuning of the guitar and and it I think it does borrow a lot of the technology um from this pickup the but they they turned it into something that you could put on any guitar as an aftermarket thing this is the guitar synths from the 70s like the ones I use the GR300 the GR50 and the GR500 um the that sort of synthesizer functionality is is much more integral to the uh, entirety of the guitar. So the, the controls, um, the the knobs and whatnot, all all pertain to um, uh, different things, different controls on the brain uh, itself, in which there's like you know a, attack time and and envelope and kind of an LFO modulation um, and uh, and there's no presets like you can't it's not like you can scroll through a bunch of sounds it, it it really is like if you get something cool you better take a picture of it with your iPhone because it's it's oftentimes really hard to to dial back up at least for me it is yeah I mean and these things are incredibly hard to find I mean my my I heard uh, I forget who I was having a conversation with but they were saying that um, you know, like Matheny, you can't, there's nobody that repairs them anymore to my knowledge. And that he, he's just sort of searches the internet for, for them uh, that are on sale and just buys all of them. So, because he obviously uses them, you know, frequently. Yeah. I would, I'd believe it. I would believe it. But I mean, I, that said, I, I feel like, um, um, man, there was, I was just a, I was just having a conversation with somebody and they they pointed out what the name for this is. It's some sort of an awareness phenomenon, but like once you become aware of something, you start noticing it everywhere. Um once I became aware of the uh of the synth guitars, I, I was definitely on on the uh like reverb and eBay and and kind of scouring the internet to try to find the best deal and the most complete package and Sometimes you find the guitar without the brain and or vice versa. And, um, and the other issue is that uh, that I've found is that while there's a, a pretty um, 
extensive. Well, the the manual that came with them is, is pretty extensive, but it doesn't get into um, troubleshooting that much. Like, for example, if if there's a bum note on the neck of a guitar, um, and by bum note I mean like like if you have a a slightly raised fret um, uh, somewhere on the neck, and it causes the adjacent frets to uh, to come into contact with the the string um, when you depress you know that note. Uh, usually on 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 a guitar, it'll just kind of sound like fret buzz. But on the synth uh, guitar, it can really make the thing go kind of crazy. Um, you know, like make make it pick up a completely different note. So um, they're they're kind of a dangerous thing. I mean, I. I to use it live the way that 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 Pat Metheny does um, is pretty brave <laughs> because they they uh, the in my experience they do have a mind of their own. Um, it's part of the reason why uh, I haven't I don't plan on doing any live shows for this record um, because it would the only way to approach it would be to just come up with a completely different um, show, you know, and and. Uh, which sounds fun, but but the thing you're talking about, where where nobody's around to fix them, um, it, we're just guess and check every time something funky starts happening. Like the weather will make the guitar change a little bit. You know, the wood will shift and stuff, and and it'll just get all out of whack. So uh, I don't know how deep I want to get into the synth guitar world because it it might be diminishing returns uh, as far as being able to perform with them live but i mean who knows i mean they're, they're the rarity of them might it, they might become really expensive and and uh and 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 then there's another reason to not tour with them anymore uh my understanding is that as you were sort of exploring and learning the instrument you were recording and um you have some great people that were collaborators on the record i mean what was the span of capturing what you ended up releasing so um so uh my my engineer Joseph Lorge uh, and I went into a studio in town here uh, called Boulevard for a week just to explore um, the the different synths um, that I'd gotten at that point. Um, and the reason why we went into the studio to do it is because so much of the uh, potential, at least f- for me, when I started to get excited about these was um, in application for the studio, being able to, for example, um, you've got discrete outs <clears throat> for the bottom end, uh, the po- polyphonic section and the monophonic sort of melodic section of one of the synths, um, the GR500. And so what that means is from a single guitar performance, you can more or less isolate different strings, you know, and send them to different, chains and process them differently and and while that that's pretty exciting in terms of sending all those to different amps and different effects um the potential for what you can do with recording that stuff and and how you process the different signals and uh um that that was really that was really where where my head was going with it early on and so we we just went into the studio to explore the gear a little bit. And uh, on one of the days, there was about a 45-minute stretch of just going deep in drop D. 
on a um on on one of the synths and and I was just sort of improvising and and tweaking knobs and doing stuff and and uh when we went back and and started to comb through some of the stuff that particular um stretch of music just seemed to really jump out and and there were some really beautiful magic things that happened uh that uh, would be really hard to try to recreate so uh, I got the idea to to embellish it a little bit and um, um, kind of take a cue from some of the things that 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 sounded like they were in there. It was sort of like a it was like one of those magic eye paintings where you 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 think you see a you think you hear a French horn, you know, coming in in one spot, and then you think, oh, that sort of sounds like a you know a a boat pulling in like a the 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 horn the fog horn on a boat that's coming into dock or something like that. So there are these these little moments that um would appear in in the the music from the synth guitar and we we tried to elaborate on them and and uh double down on them in in some instances, you know, actually adding uh wind instruments or or some string pads and vocals and things like that. And it was so much fun. Everybody that came in to participate on the record um, basically just took that idea and ran with it. They 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 would uh, elaborate on things that they were hearing in the music, not just stuff that I was hearing. And it was just it it really came to life once we started to collaborate. Um, once I started to collaborate on it with 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 all those those different players and musicians. That's a really fun. Uh concept to let the machine sort of dictate i mean obviously you were driving the boat but again that those those are uh particularly unpredictable at times is my understanding i've never actually played one but um that like you were saying like sometimes the thing can just go haywire or start creating its own um you know creating its own music and that happens that happens with other things with interesting overtones and music of course when You've experienced that when recording. I think that's such a fun concept to let the let the uh, the, the things that happened, um, you know, circumstantially, start to dictate what elements were brought out of the music. So that's that's really fun, and it will be interesting for people to listen to as they you know listen for as they're listening to the recording. Yeah, yeah. In some instances, we we tried to um, we tried to to weave everything into one big piece of fabric so it's not like a um it's 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 not overtly discernible what's what but um but uh it you know it 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 does definitely feel like an orchestra from some other planet you know of 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 invented instruments like you know that scene in uh um star wars where they go into that bar and it's job of the hut uh um uh it, it's like his his uh his mob hangout and there's that band playing um yeah. yeah it's like it's like the the concert hall downtown from that bar um you know when, when they're like these a bunch of aliens um caught like a a a a, a distant broadcast of some wagner and we're like oh we could we could we could do this and uh and kind of half-ass, half-ass, um, some turn-of-the-century 
you know, German music from from Earth. I mean, you bring up an interesting point, or you, you know, you, when aliens. You talk, yeah, the aliens. <laughs> yeah. So this record was pretty much made by aliens, is what you're saying. I mean, are we not alien? Is this really toast that I'm eating? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't see it, so you know maybe you maybe you ate toast and maybe you didn't eat toast. Who's to say anybody can see it? Who's to say I can see it? Well, but you do bring up an interesting point that you know I wanted to talk to you a little bit about you know your production philosophy in general. Uh, a lot of people get pigeonholed into he's a rock producer, he's a hip hop producer, and you know Blake Mills' name is on a lot of different sort of records from John Legend to Alabama Shakes to uh, et cetera. So. You know, when when you're in the room with somebody, are these the sorts of things that you're open to? Um, and I think I've already given the answer, but I mean, I think that that's a really open way to, and, and it's allowing you the opportunity to work on a lot of different things because you are not walking into the room doing, quote, Blake Mills. You know what I mean by that? I think so. Um, I think so. I think... I think um I think there've been there've been times where um there's there there's music or there there are projects that I really would love to have been a part of that it would be really fun but in my heart I know I'm not really relevant to you know that that like my tendencies will probably not help to get that artist closer to what they they want um, out of you know a particular record or out of their career or something like that. Um, so there there's plenty of stuff that I'm I'm not appropriate for. Um, and it, that said, I've grown up um, being a um, devoted fan to a lot of different kinds of music from a lot of different parts of the world and and uh, and uh, at a certain age. Um, I remember when I was 14, this was definitely happening, um, but probably for a few years after that even. But I I was starting to come into the age where I was falling in love with um, rock music. You know, like I was familiar with songs like Street Fighting Man and um, Under Pressure. Like I'd heard those records, the recordings growing up. Excuse me. But then like, there was something that changed um and and being able to appreciate those songs and and the spirit of you know I, I guess for lack of a better term rock music um i don't know the energy of it just became relevant to me as a 14 year old kid and um and i didn't know how to reconcile that with my love for Indian classical music or um, uh, music from West Africa um, and and things that I had been playing, um, I I kind of felt like they were uh, too like it was like an alter ego, you know, and and uh, and I was embarrassed about it. I was embarrassed about some of the music that I liked, um, not for liking it, but just. When I was in one house, I would, I would, uh, you know, I would, I would just shield. Uh, I would, I would, I would hide my affinity for, 
for the other stuff uh, away somewhere. And um, and then, I don't know, maybe like around the time I was um, 17 or, or somewhere in there, I started to, to um, realize that some musicians that I, I really loved, uh, like Derek Trucks and um, John Schofield and... Uh, um, I mean, those are the the definitely the the two guitar players um, are the best example of guys who 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 embraced the the eclecticism of, of their backgrounds, you know, and 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 how music can um, can actually disregard a lot of the the the, the barriers or the the the, the differences um, between one form and another, and. It was big for me, um, you know. And it's it's not like a it's not like a, a new concept um, by any means. But I just remember it was a really big one for me. And I think it, looking back and reflecting on uh, on your question, it, it it's it's relevant because I I don't have a distinction, um, at least that I'm aware of anymore. Uh, going into a musical situation as to like, you know what what kind of music this is um at least not in conversation it's not like it's not like you walk into a room and start talking to an artist about their music and 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 ask them questions like well now do you want to make an r&b record do you want to make a funk record do you want to make a rap record it's 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 kind of a that'd be kind of a corny conversation i think um i think and the conversations we have are more along the lines of like, what do you feel compelled to write about in your life right now? How are you in your own songs? You know, how do you insert yourself into your own music um, as opposed to, you know, just writing from a place of what it seems like songs sound like, you know, and what, what lyrics should be, um, you know, like these sort of abstract um conversations I think are so much more interesting and allow an artist to make a record that is potentially genre defying you know yeah I mean it leaves the certainly leaves the door open and and instead of walking down a narrow hallway with a door at the end and a door that just shut behind you you have a you you walk into the universe of uh possibility I guess yeah I mean to be honest it maybe it's even gotten to the point where subconsciously i'm 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 wary of 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 anything happening on a record that's overtly you know like that that's that's genre defining you know like if it's if something's taking place that feels um too country or too r&b or i don't know if that's the way to put it i guess it's not not so much that it's it, it it's hitting a genre on the nose uh, but maybe if it sounds like it's it's sort of um cliche that's the genre that i that that's the most toxic to me is something that feels to me to be cliche you're bringing in you're bringing in interesting people to work on records if it's a you know uh, somebody that's a solo artist or you're being brought into a project as a player that maybe dumps the thing on its head a little bit which I think is, um, I, I, I remember watching this documentary um, about Lee Scratch Perry and um, he was doing uh, art collaborations, uh, non-musical collaborations, um, where he 
you know, the, these artists created these works that they were obviously very, um, they were proud of. I don't know if precious is the right word, but the first thing that Lee did with one of these paintings was come in and start just tearing it up. And he just, he just ripped it into different, he ripped it into strips. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the guy, and then he just put it down, he threw paint on it, you know, and did like drew on it, you know, did his thing on it. And, and it, of course it was more interesting, you know, I mean, it was like the painting was cool before, but now it was like, it was really wild. It completely freaked the guy out. Yeah. And, uh, and yet, and yet there was this great collaboration that had happened and, and the, and what, and the re end result was more interesting. And I, I, you know, immediately sort of turned that to music and what he does to music. And, and what, what my impression is, you know, even having been in the studio with you, um, I thought that was such a great, you know, eye-opening experience for me, uh, having you come into a session as a, as a, not, not as a quote producer, but really lending, lending a lot of, uh, of, of really great ideas and direction to things, uh, to the music, um, that were complimentary and maybe uncomfortable for the artist. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. Some, some producers actively try to make the artist uncomfortable because they feel like they get something, um, interesting out of them in that state. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, ne I'm not necessarily ever trying to do that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't get anything out of out of making anybody uncomfortable. Um, I find it interesting that uh, that 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 is um, that that is a, a tactic. You know, like the 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 anecdote about Lee Scratch Perry. You know, maybe maybe there's some of that in there. Maybe the 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 wavelength he wants to get people on is is one where they're they're reacting um, instead of acting. You know, and and uh, and that. That's that that I I think there's something to that because um because I feel like I, I'm I want to be reacting instead of acting you know like as a producer or a musician or um you know collaborator anything I I I'm so much um I have so much more fun when when I'm when I'm collaborating than than I do when I'm bringing something to the table from scratch. You know, like on my own records or something like that. It, it there's they're they're much more laborious um, and much sure. more difficult for me than uh, than the records that I, I produce. Yeah, and I, I think there's 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 a there's a there's a real um, a, a it takes a lot of sense of oneself and security in oneself to let a collaboration happen. Um, if you're going to bring people into the room that are that have talents and and have a perspective you know it, it, it may not always be what feels comfortable or but it but it may be the thing that actually down the road can be appreciated once you've had some time i think like sean would be another guy that if if you sent your music for sean everett to mix it's gonna probably come back different than your rough mix yeah yeah he would because he'd be disappointed in himself if he if he didn't um if he didn't recognize himself in his work you know like in 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 that in that that mix and why why bother having him mix it or having somebody come and contribute if you're not going to sort of embrace their contribution this is my yeah. is my point you know 
Well, there are certain there are certain mixers whose whose art is about getting into the headspace of the artist and and um, and glorifying their vision. You know that 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 is a that's a completely different technique um, than sort of apl applying one's own vision, and it's it's just as noble of a cause. I think um, it, it it's it's just all about putting together a team of people that you feel like as an artist you feel like um um compel you to do the, to, to make the the best finished product yeah. so the uh if if um you know there are like there are times that i remember um having this this kind of complete vision for uh a sound or 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 a, a song or a recording or something like that and and it was just a race against um uh, against the the clock um to not forget what that vision was or that inspiration um to to just try to get it out on onto uh um into reality you know in other words like you you've got this this idea for what a, a record or song can sound like, and then immediately you go to, okay, how, how do I build it? Um, and the, the, the easiest way is to just, if you can, play everything yourself, right? And if you've got a real strong opinion of how you want it to sound and, and the panning and everything, the easiest way is to just do that yourself. And there's a sound, I think, to records that are made um, in that kind of insular way that that it's unique and uh, and interesting, but I've gone back to some of those records of mine at least, and um, found that while I I'm glad that I was able to exercise the the vision that I had um, in its entirety, I'm a little underwhelmed because it doesn't feel like something that's beyond me, and um, and I'm I'm now at the moment I'm more interested in 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 creating something or participating in something that is beyond me um, as an artist and my abilities as an artist. Um, and I and I I imagine that that will stay relevant f for me as an artist um, for years to come. You know you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a great, I think it's a great point. And, uh, you know, it's like hearing yourself talk or, uh, seeing yourself in a picture or any of those things where, you know, you might think, yeah, I look okay. But, or, or if you're trying to set up your shop, but I love, I love, I love, uh, and can appreciate everything that, that good people brought to a project that I've worked on more than my contributions at the end of the day. Um, okay. So you've moved in to Sound City and you know I've I've had the opportunity to walk in there and see that place all uh shined up and sort of uh has a new a new life. Can you can you just tell me a little bit about uh how that happened and and how uh you know and, and also your relationship with Tony Berg who is in the in the smaller room there. Um, you guys, I love the story about how 
how you guys met, whether I read that in a Tony interview or, or talked to you about it or whatever. But I love, I love that story about you basically knocking on his door, you know? Well, you know, the, 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 um, the, our history, uh, crosses paths with sound city as well, because the Simon Dawes record, um, was made at sound city in B with Tony producing. So, Sound City was actually the first um, professional uh, recording studio I'd ever worked in, and um, wow. and I was I think seventeen, uh, seventeen or eighteen when when we made that record, and um, and I got the bug, man. I was, that was like the beginning of the end of touring for me, um, making that record. Uh, and um uh so the years after um my time in Simon Dawes I started to do session work you become really interested in in doing more session work and primarily I would work um out of Tony's backyard on records he was producing and during that time I think um was was maybe the most um I don't know if, is, if the right word is is prolific, but uh, it was definitely the the time where I, I got to witness um, what record making uh, was, you know, close up uh, for a variety of different artists and types of records, and and uh, and really honed um, a, a craft of. Um, of uh of of playing that that was relevant to recording as opposed to live um so in other words the the like the stuff that worked at a live show um and went over well in front of an audience as a guitar player uh in front of a microphone was was nowhere near as energetic and and successful and and uh and and just didn't didn't communicate on record didn't translate well and and that was kind of exciting for me that challenge of you know okay well how do i how do i do that then how do i how do i figure that out and and um and so uh in february we um we started um moving in and and kind of um resuscitating um the rooms there which um which didn't have anything in them um, the only stuff that uh, was still there was the the piano, the the grand piano in A, um, an upright piano in B. Uh, the uh, A eight hundred tape machine is there, the original tape machine, but it's it's still in disrepair. So we're working on that. But um, but everything else was was gone. So we we sort of repopulated it with um, instruments and and gear and. And there's a crazy collection of of um, guitars between Tony and I. We have like the weirdest guitar collection in Los Angeles, undoubtedly. Um, and uh, and then uh, a, a a friend of mine, um, Avitas, uh from Avitas Audio. He he, uh, I knew he had had this Neve um, that he had been rebuilding for um, a little over. Uh, decade and um, it's a 
And finally, folks, this interview was recorded using the device audio interface from DPA Microphones. It's perfect for great-sounding recordings on the go.